You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We've been talking about the parables that are found in Matthew chapter 13. Each week since the middle of March, I've felt impressed with something different um, to share, and that may still happen from time to time. But I felt like this week we were, I feel like coming into May, I don't know, there are some things that are supposed to normalize. And not that what we've been doing was abnormal, uh, but I just feel like some things are supposed to normalize, and I really felt like we should go back to this study that we were doing. So for some of you, today is going to be somewhat of a review, but it's been like eight weeks since we were in this. And um, so I want to go back to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to begin at the beginning of the chapter, and I'm just going to mostly review some of the things that we talked about back in February with this. So in this chapter, let's just read these first few verses. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. And and he goes, uh, the scripture goes into the first parable of the soil there. And uh, so I want to go back and I want to talk to you again about this idea. We know that the gospels are loaded with parables. Some of the stories in the gospels, many of the stories in the gospels are not parables. They are things that happened, um, just, just stories, real life stories. So a lot of them are just real life, you know, stories of things that happened then or in the past. But parables are specific stories that are taught to illustrate spiritual truths. Okay, so Jesus taught in parables a lot. And one of the reasons for that was because the, uh, all of the religious scholars and leaders at the time taught in parables. Parables are a real effective way to teach. But parables, he taught in this, in this chapter, he teaches seven parables that are about the nature of the kingdom of God, what it's like, how it works, and how it can be applied. And I think that's something we need to remember. A lot of times when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of something that is off somewhere else. We think of heaven we think, rather than the culture and the atmosphere of heaven. The kingdom of God speaks of, or the kingdom of heaven, uh, it describes an environment in which God rules in an, I don't have the best word for this, in an undiluted or uncompromised fashion. We do not see God's will uh, being uh, manifested 100% right now in the earth. We, we can find out what God's will is and understand that, but there are forces working against it, including sometimes our own hearts, unfortunately. But there are forces working against it. So we don't, if, if we were seeing God's will manifested at 100%, there sure wouldn't be any sickness or disease. There wouldn't be any uh, sadness. There wouldn't be any death. There wouldn't be any of those things would not exist. So earth isn't the place right now where we get to see a, a, the sovereign will of God manifested 100%. That's heaven, all right? That's, we look at heaven, we look at Jesus, 
to see what the will of God looks like. All right, so, so he, t- he gives us these parables. He teaches these parables so we can see the kingdom. We can see how it works uh, in a practical way on the earth. And it works in a practical way on the earth, primarily through us receiving his words in seed form and then something different being produced in us and then us producing something different on the, wor- on the earth. And of course, it's the, the kingdom is actually carried carried by believers. His kingdom, again, it's, it's an environment in which God rules. So the areas in our hearts where God is ruling 100%, we will manifest that kingdom 100%. The areas where, and all of us have them, where God's rule is still only getting 70%, we're going to manifest it about 70%, okay? But it is carried by believers. It's not just a place that exists somewhere else. Jesus said, the, the Pharisees came to him and asked him, uh, when, will the, when will the kingdom come? You know. So they were looking for an outward manifestation of the kingdom uh, by itself. Here's a place. It's like, okay, the, the kingdom uh, exists three miles down the valley. So if you want to see the kingdom, go three miles down the valley and you'll see the kingdom. You know, it was, they were asking when and where, where's that kingdom going to come? Jesus said, the kingdom does not come. This is Matthew. It's, it's my perversion of, of Matthew, my, my version, sorry, of Matthew 17, 20, and 21. Uh, he said, the kingdom does not come by observation. What that meant was observing the law, simply obeying the rules. Kingdom doesn't come as a manifestation of us just getting certain rules right, Okay. And it does not exist as a place outside of yourself that you can go and experience it. You know, like going to the movies. The movie's playing over there, so that's where we go. It's not how it works. He said that it, and, and the Greek language and the Aramaic come across this way, it exists and expands within believers, the kingdom of God. It exists and it expands within believers who carry it and release it wherever they go. All right, so, so when Jesus gives us these parables, it is, he's describing an environment where God rules. And, and it's an environment where that's not diluted, that's not compromised. It's, this is what it looks like where God rules. And some of them will tell us, this is what's going to happen where God's rules. Some of them will tell us, here's how you can apply this. Here's how you can be involved with this in your life. All right, God doesn't rule on earth through domination, he doesn't, if he did, then his will would be seen 100% on the earth. He didn't do it that way. He set it up as partnership. He created us for partnership. He gave us dominion over the earth. You got to remember when you're thinking about the kingdom of God, why are, you know, why are th- do things happen? Why do people still die? Why do babies get sick? Why do, you know, all of these things that we know, we know in our hearts, this should not be. This is not right. Death is not right. We know it in our hearts. And, and so it's important for us to realize that, remember, God set man in the earth, gave man authority over the earth to act as his representative in this earth. Man, through sin, gave that authority to Satan. Jesus, through what he did at the cross, took that authority back and then assigned us to go out again 
under his authority that can't be changed by our sin to go out again and release the kingdom, to carry the kingdom and to take it and to release it on earth. So the assignment really from God, it's never changed from God's end. God's assignment to mankind has never changed. It was disrupted by the entrance of sin, but his assignment to us is Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, you go in my name, make disciples of all nations. Or it's found in uh, pray, release, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our assignment. So our assignment is to carry it out. And in this teaching, we find out how it works, what its priorities are, those kinds of things. So, So Jesus comes out of the house where he's staying. He goes down to the beach. He gets in this boat because there were so many people there. He made himself, we made a big point of this a couple months ago. Jesus did it this way so that people could hear him, so that people could see him and people could hear him. He's on the water. The water's amplifying his voice. They're on the shore. They can hear what he's saying. His heart and his intent was to make what he was saying, the words he was speaking, the word of God, clear to people. And that's another reason that he used parables, because they make the word unmistakable. They give us an illustration. They show us how the word works, what it means. And so this chapter and what Jesus did, to he made the word of God as clear, as unmistakable as he possibly could. It demonstrates that God is a revealer. God wants you to know who he is. God wants you to know what he's saying. God wants you to know how to apply his word. God wants all of us to know how to pray more effectively. He wants all of us to know how to have better relationships and and live in a different way and produce, to be productive in our lives, spiritually and socially and financially and all those things. He wants us to know he's not hiding all of that from us. And that's a huge thing that we need to understand as we go into Because sometimes we look at these parables and it's like, okay, this, this tells me something. I need to take the time to hear. God is making his word known to me. He's gone to this extent so that I can know and I can hear him. So I need to give my part to that. You know, when we're out, I'm out riding motorcycles. I read this years ago and it just, the, this phrase always comes back to me. You know, we really watch for deer and elk and coyotes and moose and whatever, you know, things that want to get in the road and, and are not fun to hit. Uh, So, you know, we always are aware of all that, but when I see deer crossing signs. Every time I see a deer crossing sign or an elk crossing sign or whatever, I always think some government entity spent the money to send somebody out to put that sign in this spot. There must be a reason for that. So even though I try to be constantly vigilant about that, I need to pay attention here because somebody went to a lot of trouble to put this sign here. Those of you who have tried to build fence or anything in this valley, dig in the ground in any way, know that it's not easy to put that kind of stuff up. So my point is, Jesus bringing us these parables, 
It's really important that we take them as the sign that points to who he is, which is what they are, the sign that points to how the kingdom functions, that we take hold of that and we pay attention. And they, they always give us, parables always give us a choice. So he's trying to make the word clear, all right? The word of God, just give you this little list today. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on it. The word of God. I just feel like God wants to remind us how solid his word is today. The word of God is the primary source of all revelation and understanding about the nature of God and salvation. It's where you're gonna find it by ingesting his word, not just by learning it like a classroom, but by ingesting his word, you're going to receive out of that word will flow revelation and understanding about the nature of God and salvation, all right? The word of God is the source or the seed of our salvation and our spiritual life. It carries the life of God into our hearts. Need something to change inside? Get the word on it, ingest it, meditate on it, pray it, declare it, stick with it until it as seed has room to grow, to displace anything in your heart it needs to displace and to produce some different fruit through you. The word of God is the catalyst for a genuine transformation of a person's heart and mind. You know, a catalyst, again, is one element that's introduced into another element. The catalyst doesn't change, but the element it's introduced into changes dramatically, dynamically. That's how the word works when it comes into our lives. If we're receptive to it, which is Jesus' point in the beginning of this chapter, if we're receptive to it, it will, it will dynamically change who we are. All right. The word is food and drink for our spirit, man. It sustains the life of God within us. You know, if you're getting dry, if you're getting bummed out, if you're getting fearful, if you're getting, you know, with all this, you, you're getting, there's all kinds of input out there. Just had a conversation with somebody this morning that had to deal with their office situation and deal with the conversations that were going on because it was just bringing that worry, that garbage into that environment. And you know what? There's enough of that out there. We don't need it in here. And so you don't need it in your home. You don't need it in your heart. You don't need it anywhere. But in some of those places, you have the authority to shut that down and bring something else in. So it's, it's this way. It's, we need to have that life sustained on the inside of us. And if there's some area in our life where we know we're just not, even if God's dealt with this area a thousand times in your life, you got to go back to the word and grab hold of the word in that area and meditate on it, declare it and take your time with it. It will produce. It always produces. Okay. It's the seed of both hope and faith through which we appropriate and manifest the promises of God. And that's important, not only for us, but for everybody around us. So, so Jesus' whole ministry was about revealing the Father. He is the exact image of the Father, all right? And, and a part of his use of parables was just that. So we discussed some of this before. I've got some different things on this, but some of this will be reviewed for some of you. So, you know, people do. They ask, well, why parables? You know, and... and in Matthew 13, 10, the disciples came and asked him that very question. We get through that first parable, uh, parable, we call it the parable of the sower. It's really more about the soil than it is about the sower. But, but anyway, um, we get to the end of that and the disciples act cool for a while, like, oh, we get it. We know what he's talking about. Then when they get him by himself, they say, 
what did that mean? You know, and, uh, and they asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Okay, so there, there are good reasons for that. We, we talked about the fact that the word parable comes from the Greek word parabole. It's a compound word, and it means to throw one thing down beside another, to throw one thing down beside another. It, it sets a, it's a form of teaching that sets a well-known image or activity beside a spiritual truth to make the spiritual truth fully understandable. Okay, so he gives us an illustration, something from real life, something we understand, we know. Plant a seed in the ground and certain things have to be right for that seed to grow right. And if this happens, the seed doesn't grow as well. And if this happens, it produces, you know, we get that, we understand that. So he uses that to teach us a spiritual truth, all right? Um, He wanted to make it nearly impossible for the people that heard him to use the excuse that they couldn't understand what he was saying. You know, I've always loved the fact that while certainly it takes time sometimes for us to really get what God is saying to us out of the word, the word of God is really simple. And I love that. Jesus' teaching was really simple. It's, it's um, profound, very profound. It's bottomless. It's alive. It's supernatural. But in, in essence, it's simple. Plant the right seed, you'll get the right harvest. Plant the wrong seed, you get a bad harvest. Plant the seed and don't deal with the weeds in your life, you're not going to get a harvest, you know, etc. And And so... His teaching, he wanted to, and, and you've got to remember, Jesus is coming into a, an environment here where he is going to go to the cross for us, for everybody. He is the Messiah. He's coming into a religious environment that has been, has taken what God originally said and made it legalistic, made it into these rules, exalted some people over another, excluded other people from from even being involved with what God did. It's, he's coming into this environment and he's confronting this power structure. And so by using parables, he actually drew a line in the sand where it's like, you can't possibly not understand what I'm saying unless your heart is hardened. So it, it and we'll see that, we'll read through that in just a few minutes. He, he puts that responsibility back on, on people. And the use of parables actually made it really evident who came to really hear him and receive what he said and who came hard-hearted. And, and so it, it actually becomes, might not be the best terminology either, but it actually becomes a, a, almost a point of judgment. It all becomes a point of, uh, you know, prostitutes are getting what I'm saying. Religious leaders are not. What's with that? You know, I mean, it's, it's not Jesus' fault, okay, that that's going on. So it really, it really draws a line. And even for us, and the scripture comes to this in a number of places, we can come to the word and we can say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's too far, it's too high, it's too deep, it's, it's too weighty for me. God doesn't love me the way he loves other people. Shame will really do this to you keep you in this place of making some reason why it doesn't work for you to, to get what the Lord is saying. And um, 
you know, even in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, you know, the Lord came back and he said, he said, it's the, the word I'm speaking to you today. It's not too far away. It's not too high. You don't have to send somebody else to get it. It's in your heart and in your mouth so that you can do it. Okay. It, it's always been this way. The, the, the Lord makes the word understandable and doable if we'll just receive it in that way. Okay, so parables, again, they always link something familiar with something we already understand, or I mean something that we, something familiar, something we understand with something we don't understand yet, and they act as this bridge into a deeper spiritual truth. I want to read this to you again. I, I think we got to this uh, when we were on this before, but this is so good. This is from Vincent's Word Studies in the Greek New Testament, and it says, Jesus used many parables to demonstrate that there are laws that apply equally to the spiritual and the natural world, like seed time and harvest. It applies equally to the spiritual and the natural world. And uh, Vincent goes on to say, these symbols like seed, soil, harvest, uh, talents, mustard seed, fish and nets, those kinds of things, these, these symbols, these natural things, demonstrate the existence of a law that is common to the natural and the spiritual worlds under which the symbol and the thing symbolized work alike. So, so the seed in the natural works just like the seed in the spirit realm. All right, you understand what I'm saying? And, and so he's, he's, he's showing us that there are, I call them spiritual laws, but they apply exactly the same way in the natural as they do in the spirit realm. There's something far more. And that's why Jesus can talk about give away love, you'll receive love. Give away mercy, you'll receive mercy. Give away judgment, you'll receive judgment. So it's not just about planting uh, physical seeds. It's not just about planting. We, we talk about seed time and harvest with our offerings a lot. It's not just about that. It is about that, but it's not just about that. We are constantly sowing seed and reaping harvest, you know? And, and again, a lot of these parables are not about seed time and harvest, but this is the, this is the point, all right? So we find out that, that one, the natural thing, the spiritual thing, one does not merely resemble the other superficially, but it stands in actual coherence and harmony with it. In other words, a law that applies in the natural and a law that applies in the spiritual, they stand together. There's coherence, there's harmony. They are, they are the same. You've got to remember, God created this earth. You know, God's a spirit. He created this earth. Uh, I've heard people say in the past, you know, I've said, what do, you, what do you really think heaven's going to look like? And they said, I think it's going to look a lot like earth, except way better. But this seems to be God's taste. You know, the universe seems to be God's taste. He, this is what he created, you know? And I'm sure that's kind of limiting the idea, but I mean, we tend to, I, I had somebody ask me this just a few weeks ago because they were getting into a pretty new believer asking about, you know, what's that, what's that going to look like? And I said, I don't know, but it isn't going to be a bunch of us sitting around on clouds playing harps. I can tell you that I just, I don't believe that for a second. I mean, God's creative. There will be creativity. There are elements of his nature are going to be there. And those exist in his kingdom as we live it and release it on the earth. Okay. So there are a lot of people right now, these, these laws work the same. So when we talk about, for instance, seed time and harvest, 
there are a lot of people right now because it's spring and they're tilling up the soil and they're planting seeds in their gardens and they're, you know, or maybe farmers out in their fields, they're, they're planting because they know a harvest is going to come. They're applying it there. And at the same time, out of their mouths, they're speaking death. They're speaking death into, you know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. The scripture says they're speaking death into their marriage or into their children or into their business or into their community or whatever it might be. At the same time, they're out in the garden planting those other seeds. They're not recognizing that this, this principle applies across the board. All right. So parables serve to bring spiritual realities to the heart. This is really important through engaging the imagination. Okay, through God gave you an imagination so that if it's used in a godly way, you can picture in the eyes of your heart, the Bible talks about the eyes of our heart, you can picture God's word, God's kingdom, how it looks in real life, in real time. How does, how does righteousness look in my everyday life? How does being heaven-minded look in my everyday life? How does it apply? You can imagine it, a, a parable, because it gives you an illustration and a picture. It engages the imagination and it leads us into a deeper understanding of that truth and into a place where revelation can begin to flow. And we can start to not just see that farmer out there planting seed, or one of my favorites, not in this chapter, is where, you know, there's a tree that isn't doing well and the owner says, cut it down. And the gardener says, oh, give me another year. I'll go out, I'll, I'll give it special attention. I'll dig around it, I'll fertilize it, I'll take care of it. If it doesn't produce after that, okay. But let's give it another chance. It just expresses God's mercy and God's heart towards us. And so we can, as we first see God's care for that tree, then that can get replaced in our hearts and in our imaginations with God's care for my life. And the places where I'm not producing in my life, his immediate idea is not to come cut me down, but to, to prune maybe, to fertilize, to dig around, you know, to go deeper, to work with me, to change that thing in my life. And so we can begin to see those things. And it's just a huge huge part of us moving from what we call mental assent, which means I mentally agree with what the Word of God says, to a place of faith where I have absolute confidence. I'm engaged with, it's become a part of me, what the Word of God says, all right? That, that um, connecting with the imagination is, is uh, a huge part of that, and parables lead us into that. All right, I hope you're getting something out of this. So, so again, in Matthew 13, 10, the disciples came to him, as we already said, and they said, why do you speak in parables? All right. Now I want to go on from there. I want to read the next several verses, and I want to read them from the Passion Translation because I feel like it just nails this chapter. So if you have it there, if you have it on Kindle or you have a Passion New Testament, you probably want to look with us. But it says in, in, in verse 11, so they came and they asked, why do, why do you speak in parables? And, and he comes back and says, he explained, you've been given 
the intimate experience of insight. Just let that phrase soak into your heart. The intimate experience of insight. Getting insight into God's heart, what he's saying, getting revelation from his word should be an intimate experience. It's not a classroom experience. It's, it's an intimate experience. It's an experience we cannot separate the person from the word. We cannot separate what the Holy Spirit and his involvement in producing revelation, an intimate experience with him from what the word tells us and releases in us. So he says, you've been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden truths and mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom. Again, in the New Testament, that word mysteries just means things that have been covered that are being uncovered. It's used a lot in the New Testament. It says, you've been given this intimate experience, but they have not. That sounds harsh. For everyone, but, but here's the deal. So in English, let me just say this. In English, that comes across kind of like God's playing favorites. But we know the scripture says in multiple places, God does not show favoritism. So whenever you come to something in the word like that, let's just use that as an example. You come to something in the word and says, wow, yeah, that's kind of harsh. Sounds like you're playing favorites, God. Well, you need to let the word of God, the other, the rest of the word, interpret that verse for you. And since we know for sure, uh, just for one place, Romans 2.11 says, God does not show favoritism. It says this over in the book of Acts. There, there are several places that give us this information. God does not show favoritism. So it's like, well, but when I read that, I feel like God's showing favoritism. Well, your feelers are wrong because God doesn't show favoritism. So you got to stop and you got to say, Lord, show me this. What's, what's the deal here? And usually, maybe not at that moment, but pretty soon, one way or another, he'll bring up some more scripture that highlights or illuminates what you're struggling with, all right? But don't just read over stuff like that and go away with an opinion that's contrary to God's nature. We get a lot of bad doctrine that way, by the way. We've, we've developed loads of bad doctrine by not keeping the fact that Jesus Christ is perfect theology in front of us. And there are things we just don't understand. And we, well, you know, I know there are things I've gone a lot, of, I've gone decades and I still don't, I don't get them. I don't fully understand them, but I'm not going to throw out what I do understand for what I don't understand. It'll, it'll come eventually. Or when I see him face to face, you know, he's going to straighten out a lot of my doctrine. So, you know, anyway, so, so uh, they said, so that intimate experience of insight it's been given to you, but not to them. Here's the reason. Verse 12 gives us the reason. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. The, in the Aramaic there, in the, the um, footnotes in the Passion bring this out, it says, until they habitually superabound with understanding. Just, I could live on just those two phrases, the intimate experience of insight, and that if I listen with an open heart, I'll, I'll receive uh, progressively more revelation until I habitually superabound with understanding. I could live on those for quite some time. I mean, what, a, what an amazing statement that he made. So he's not being... He's, here again, what did we say? We said parables force us to make a choice. Par parables put us in a position where it becomes evident how your heart is set toward the word. Is it open 
or is it closed? Because the parable's making the truth really evident. So if you do not receive it, you got to ask yourself why. If you feel like you cannot receive it, you got to ask yourself why. You know, it's not on God's end. Okay, so so why are those secrets of the kingdom plain? Because they've chosen to not only hear, but to treasure up what God is saying to them and to put it into practice. All right, and we find that in various places. Mark chapter 4, verses, verses 24 and 25 from the Amplified Bible. He said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth that you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. For to him who has, more will be given from him who has nothing. Even what he has will be taken away. And again, it's because there's no reason to have nothing. God is pouring himself out. God is revealing himself. There's no reason for us to be in a position where we have nothing. And, and so he says, be careful what you're hearing. And we said it this way, I think a couple months ago, the size of the container we bring to our prayer time, to our devotional time, to church, the size of the container we bring is going to determine how much we receive. How open is your heart? How much are you ready to take in? Even if it challenges you, even at the moment it doesn't feel good, even if it says you need to change this aspect of your life, do you keep your container open? That's what determines, not what God pours out. God pours out more than we can hold. Superabundant means overflowing, okay? I think God always pours out more than we can hold. The responsibility really is on our end. And don't take that. I mean, don't get all condemned. Um, if, you're, if you're not feeling that, it's like, well, just understand God loves you so much and he has such confidence in you that he's, poor, he's so faithful. He's going to pour stuff out to you. And so we just need to learn to come to him with a really open heart. And sometimes we've developed real strong habits of thinking a certain way or believing a certain way or, you know, or something pokes an area where we're really insecure. And so, you know, our heart wants to put up a defense. We put up a defense to what the devil wants to say. We don't put up a defense to what God wants to say because it's for our good. It's for our good. It will produce fruit. It's alive. It'll produce fruit in our lives. Okay. So um, the gospels teach us, and, and it's a, um, verse 13 that's why I teach the people using parables because they think they're looking for truth. Yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. So they're going around acting like they're searching for truth. But from God's perspective, their hearts are not teachable. They will receive a word that agrees with what they already think. They will not receive a word that doesn't agree with what they already think. The Gospels teach us that some people rejected the words of Jesus because they didn't receive the person of Jesus. Oh, he's just the carpenter's son. Oh, you know, so because they didn't receive the person, they didn't receive the word. The Gospels also teach us that some people rejected the person because they wouldn't receive his words. So it works both ways. You cannot, the point of that is what? You can't separate the person and the word. You can't, you can't say, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't believe the Bible. 
I don't accept what the Bible says for my life. It's just not true. Or I, I love the Bible, but I don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, then you don't love the Bible. You cannot separate the Bible is Jesus Christ in written form and Jesus Christ is, is the word of God in living flesh, all right? So you can't separate those two. I know you can say it all day long. I have people say it to me. Uh, it's just not true, okay? It's great not having it, you know, nobody can throw rocks at me in here. So it's, it's just great. All right, God and his word are one. All right, so just a couple more things, we'll be done. Parables force a choice, all right? They force a choice. Every time we're presented with the word of God, we have a choice to make, all right? And because parables make the word so unmistakably clear, they force people to choose, receive or don't receive. And again, it becomes very evident then, between you and God at least, you can fake us out, but you can't fake God out, whether your heart is open or not. Let's read through the rest of these verses and then, so I'll start with verse 13 again. That's why I teach the people using parables because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. I think this breaks God's heart. I don't think he's just being critical here. Although they will listen to me, they never fully perceive. So in other words, this is what the, if you have ears to hear, let them hear, right? If you have ears to hear, let him hear with the full intent to receive and obey. Okay, that's what that word here means. They never perceive the message I speak. The prophecy of Isaiah de describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand the thing I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and are hard of hearing, and they have deliberately, deliberately, get that, Okay, all of us have things we don't get. All of us have, you know, all of us have that. But this is the point. They have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me and let me instantly heal them. But he says to these that, that come with the right heart, he says, but your eyes are privileged for they see, delighted, are your ears, for they are open to hear all these things. Get that. Delighted are your ears because they're open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people in times past yearn to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. They would have given everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear, yet they didn't get to see as much as a glimpse or even a whisper. Now you are ready to listen to the revelation of the par parable of the sower and his seeds. And Jesus goes in and explains the parable. Now with your hearts open, now with you realizing it's the container you bring now with... Um, you know, there's a, there's a term in the scripture called willful blindness, where we just willfully say, I'm not going to deal with that passage. Even though the Holy Spirit's tapping on our hearts, I'm not going to deal with that. I don't feel like it. It hurts. Whatever the case may be, I'm not going to deal with it. And I think that has to stem from not being confident that God always has your best in mind. He always has your best. If he's tapping on an area, it needs to be tapped. And honestly, you can get to where I love it when the scripture challenges me because the scripture needs to correct me. 
you know, it shouldn't all fall to my poor wife. It, it, you know, it, the scripture needs to correct me. I need to change. I'll need to change till the day I die. You know, it's the way it is. And I know God, I'm absolutely confident, whatever God's trying to change, it's, it's for my best as well as everybody else around me. So you can get to where you really welcome challenging scriptures. All right. So final statement, the truth was made so plain in public and backed up by miracles that it would be obvious to anyone that those who didn't understand, didn't receive, that they were willfully blind. This is why he used parables. So we're going to start digging into these parables. Just dig the truth out of them. I want you to love parables. They're all through the scripture. This just happens to be a chapter where there are seven in a row. Uh, But you know, I, I want us to begin digging in and receiving these truths, but I want that spirit that we've talked about this morning, that atmosphere, to, to be in every, every time you're spending time with God. Our hearts really need to be open. Father, we just thank you, Lord, this morning. We know that you always, you are, Jesus, you went to the cross, not just so that we could go and spend eternity, go to heaven, quote, and spend eternity with you, but so that heaven could invade us, so that we could carry the kingdom of God in us, so that we could be transformed line upon line, precept upon precept. Your word could come into our hearts and transform us, turn us from carnal thinking, from being carnally minded and producing death to being spiritually minded and producing life and peace. Lord, we are confident in that. So not only during this study or or even in church, Father, but all the time, we choose to receive your words, to come to you open-hearted. And wherever our hearts are closed, sometimes we don't even know. Holy Spirit, we invite you to open those areas up, open those doors, unlock those. Give us the key. Lord, use the key in our hearts to open those areas that we might have closed. And as we go out this week, as the the people of this church and all of those that are watching, as we go out this week, we take the responsibility to go out as the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we go out into this world carrying the kingdom of God We carry your healing virtue. We carry your life. We carry the prophetic. We carry words from you to other people. And Lord, we ask you for the opportunities to release what you have put in us out into this world. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to close it up. We will say this as always on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. And we will be dismissed. One. Two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. See ya. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.